If you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Brother Jedediah said he was going to talk about things we've already talked about, and I would talk about things that we would already talk about. And I said, I've got to find a passage that no one's going to talk about. So instead of 2 Corinthians, we're going to 2 Chronicles. No, I didn't plan for that because we will get some, to some things we've already talked about and no doubt will talk about. But as I was reading a passage last week, if you're up to date in your the church's yearly read through the Bible guide, you read this last Sunday. If you're like me, you read it on Monday. And we're not going to, I'm not going to have you stand for the reading. In fact, we're not even going to read any till after we pray. We'll spend a few minutes just looking at a passage of scripture that directly relates nothing to missions. But indirectly, as we see the character of God, we see the really outline throughout all the Bible, the truth by which we are able to access the power of God, it really indirectly relates everything to missions. And uh, we pastor gave us a list a few a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, of some things he, he thought would be prudent to talk about regarding missions. One of them was prayer in our missions. And uh, I partially picked it, partially was chosen. And then with what Brother Hammett said tonight, I think it was the right thing to do tonight. Um, he mentioned prayer in that, that short greeting being really the essential or the the most important part of how we give to missions. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. Prayer, missions, missing ingredient. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to assemble as the church. We thank you for this commission by which you've entrusted us to take the gospel everywhere. Help us, Lord, to be more in tune to what the Spirit of God would have us to do personally and collectively as families. And Lord, may, as we prayed before, once again, we look back on this night knowing that it was a, a changing moment throughout this week by which we did more than we've ever done for the glory of God. Pray that you'd help us, encourage us in the Lord tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 16 of Second Chronicles, we'll look in verse number 1 and read most of this story. It says in verse number 1, In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, the king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. You know that for many, many Decades and throughout a long period of time, Israel and Judah battled between one another. There would be moments of cooperation, but for the most part, there was just a, 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 a time of uh, really the butting of heads, so to speak, among these kings, among the people. Since the kingdom had been divided, uh, there, there, there was a long period of time where there was this distrust and this lack of cooperation between the two. Here we see where Israel goes against Judah and basically besieges it, um, puts this block to where they couldn't get access into the king, Asa, and Judah. 
It says in verse 2, Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasure of the house of the Lord and out of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt in Damascus. Now, if you remember, Syria was an enemy of Judah. This man, Ben-Hadad, was an enemy of the Lord. Yet, uh, it says that Asa brought silver and gold out of the temple or out of the house, the, the Lord's house. And, and, uh, and here's what he says to the king of Syria. There's a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. It's an amazing, all throughout history and even today, when there's money involved, the cooperation of people seems to come much easier. And here, with money in front of them, he says, we're we're old friends, aren't we? Just like our, our parents were friends, we're friends. He says, behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. He said, I'm going to basically pay you off. You go break your league that you had with Israel because Israel is wanting to fight against us. And Ben-Hadad hearkened to the king of Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan and Abelman and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass when Baasha heard it that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha was building. And he built there with Geba and Mizpah. Now up until this point, it, it appears that this king Asa was quite the diplomat. He has this master mind idea where he'll just use money at the expense of money rather than the expense of men, he would go in, make an agreement with this king. Though he didn't get along with him, maybe he could use his resources and his might to evade the uh, defeat from Israel. And at a first glance, you would think, wow, this is quite the king. What a hero. What a leader. What a captain. Until the prophet shows up in verse 7. It says, and at that time... Hanani, the seer, or the the, the prophet, the man of God, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is this host of the king, uh, I'm sorry, therefore is this host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen, Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. We'll look at that in just a moment. And then verse 9, we'll, cl- we'll, we'll wrap up this passage with this. A very familiar verse to most of us. The seer says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Here the man of God shows up. And he says, King Asa, you thought you did an heroic deal. You thought you made this league and it was a benefit to you. But he said, can you remember just prior to this event, in fact, we find it in chapter 14, where maybe as many as a million Ethiopians and these Lubims, these these people from the African continent, moved toward Asa and, and his people. And he cries out to God, and the Bible tells us, we'll read it in a little bit, that God defeated them. God won the victory that day. 
And the seer says to Asa here, he says, the same God that defeated your enemy yesterday had the same ability to defeat him today. But instead, you chose to use your intuition, your wisdom, your prudence. And because of that, it's cost you greatly. He finishes here in verse number 9 and says, in the last part here, and thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. We find Asa being very wroth with him. We, we end the, the story of Asa where he was diseased, yet he, in his pride and in his arrogance before God, he refused to call out to God. Instead, he sought the physicians. And as some of you have found, when you trust the doctor, it doesn't go very well. And uh, he basically ended up dying with his, his, wisdom, his hope for wisdom with physicians. Now you look at this and you say, well, what does this have to do with missions? What does this have to do with missions and prayer specifically? We're going to run through just four different things, and I'll be brief. We didn't change your time, so I could go longer. Number one, when it comes to missions, we've got to think first of all of personal prayer. And next to that, I want you to think about the word surrender. This is the kind of prayer that Isaiah said in chapter 6 and verse 8 when he said, Hear my Lord, send me. See, in verse 16 of... Um, I'm sorry, in verse number uh, 9 of chapter 16 where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Asa said, God's looking for someone, somewhere, whose heart is perfect, whose heart is prepared, whose heart is just simply trusting, saying, God, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Here am I, take my life. As Brother Jedediah said last night, really missions is more than just saying, who will go for us, but it's, God, will you send me? I'm available. Before I ship off... I like the way he put it. Before I ship off the person that I don't really enjoy being around, and you know, we, we would prefer not seeing them as much, maybe we ought to look at inwardly and say, God, would you be willing to use me? And how could you use me? And most importantly, I'm willing for you to use me. Look over in chapter number 14. This is the event where Asa cries out to God. In verse 11 it says, And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help whether with many or with them them that have no power. He said, whether we have a multitude or if I'm a person who has no power, it makes no difference to you. The middle of the verse, he says, Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on Thee. Our confidence is in You. Our strength is in You. We know we have nothing without You, he's saying. And in Thy name we go against this multitude, O Lord, Thou art our God. He personalizes it and says, let no man prevail against, not against us, but against thee. He said, may your glory be known in our life. Because this personal, he began by just looking inwardly and saying, we want to be available, God. We want to be used of you. We want to be your servants. Humbly before you, he just cries out and says, help. Last year, I actually, it was last year, I think, I shared this testimony that most of you have heard. But it was at a missions conference 16 years ago, Thursday night, that I trusted Christ as my Savior. And at the beginning of that missions conference, I can remember like it was yesterday, the prayer I prayed when I said, God, whatever you'd have me to do, you show me and I'll do it. 
And I, up until that point, I thought I was saved, and I was ready to go to India or wherever. I would have went to Pakistan if, if that's what God would have said. But he didn't. He, he simply showed me that I was unsaved and gave me, by grace, the opportunity to receive him. But I believe tonight that those who come to God with a true heart of surrender, that's what, indeed what God's looking for. God, when it, when the, the seer came to Asa, he said, Asa, we weren't looking, God wasn't looking for your strength or your might. He was looking for a heart of surrender. He was looking for that personal prayer, that inward prayer. When it comes to missions, we've got to start with ourselves. When it comes to mission praying, you've got to start with you. Number two, we, we look at, first of all, personal prayer. Then we look at directional prayer. Now, I, next to that, I have the word intercession. This is where we're directing our prayers, whether it be across the row of where you're sitting or across the ocean. As we heard just already this week, Brother Moore gave uh, Sunday morning, as we heard from him, he gave these several people whom he's discipling. He's been praying for these people, if you keep up with him, he's been praying for these same men for months, basically ever since they, they arrived in Botswana. When we, we dealt with him with those video calls with the teens, he began to share his burden for these people and misses more with those ladies. Here you have an opportunity as a member of Mount Zion Baptist Church to do more than just put some money in the offering plate labeled missions. You have the opportunity to direct your prayer, not just inwardly, but outwardly, to intercede on the behalf of our missionaries. You know, what a pity it would be for us as a church to encourage someone to surrender their life to the ministry and surrender their home and surrender their career and go to a foreign field and us just kind of pat them on the back and send them on the way but never pray for them. You say, well, we'd never do that. Well, I want to ask your, uh, myself and you ask yourself, who's the last missionary that I prayed specifically for? Who's the last missionary that I, I truly, I didn't just say, Lord, bless Brother Moore or help Brother Moore in Botswana, but I began to pray for those men whom he's discipling. As uh, we heard from Brother Hammett today, and he begins to share his needs in these different countries that are around him. We have the opportunity to intercede on his behalf. Here when Asa begins to pray and has the opportunity to pray, he wasn't just praying for his own salvation. When the Egyptians surrounded him, he didn't just say, Lord, deliver me from my plot, but he said, deliver your people. In fact, if you look through this, you find that Asa was responsible for the deliverance of all of Judah. We don't see all of Judah crying out to God. We see one man leading the charge. When it comes to interceding prayer for missions, here again we have to personalize it and say, I'm going to be that person. As I, I love the, the idea that we're going to begin to pursue as families, we, we begin to incorporate one missionary into our, our month or, or throughout the year that we can pray for, we can learn their needs, we can learn their, their problems and their troubles. Can I just real briefly remind you that on Christmas time, most missionaries, either they live in a culture where there is no Christmas, or they at least have no family to celebrate it with them. They have very few 
close friends that they can enjoy times like that while we sit and we, we have our family dinners and we open our presents and we enjoy our holidays. There they are on the fields without all those things. Do we take time to consider things like this? Do we, do we take the time to consider the warfare that they deal with day in and day out? Men in, in places like India, where the masses are, are really a, a paganistic society. They're, they may believe in gods, but they're not the true God. And really there's a demonic presence everywhere you go. And in a, in a, a city of nearly a third or over a third of a million people and no other churches to associate with. What, a, what an opportunity to become uh, discouraged. But we, on our side, have the opportunity to reach out to them and direct our prayers to them. I want to encourage you to be very specific when you pray. Let's not just pray names. Let's be, become very specific and pray, what are the needs of these people? If you're taking notes, if you want to look these up, we actually looked up Romans 16, 30. We'll just turn there. I think we have time. Turn with me. Jump over to Romans chapter 30. I'll give Brother Jed the satisfaction of saying something he said last night. Romans 16. This kills me, by the way. Chapter 16, verse number 15, verse 30, not 16. You can, we'll look all night for verse 30 and 16. Verse 15, that's the one right before 16. Verse 30 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit that ye look at this, strive together with me. In your prayers. He says, you have the opportunity to battle with me and work with me. And, 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 and as a, I, I picture a, a three-legged race tied together, achieving and seeking the same prize. Though he was distant from them, but he says, you have the, the opportunity to co-labor with me. How? Through your prayers and your prayers to God for me. Look, look at verse 31 and 32. It says, that I may be, number one, delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted. Allow me to go to you know, Jerusalem and, and the things that I've done and the work that I've begun there. May it be blessed. And in verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. He says, pray that I could come back and visit you. And may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He, he says, when you pray for me, pray specifically. Here's my list. Don't just say, bless Paul and help Paul and be with Paul. He says, here's what I need. Will you pray with me? Will you, will you labor with me on these, on these points? Now, I encourage you to labor with our missionaries when they have needs. And write those down. Put them on your prayer list and actually pray for them. Don't just, don't just write them down. Do something with them. Keep turning to the right to Colossians chapter number 4. I think we looked at this Sunday night. or it was referred to at some point. That one's wrong too. I think it is. Is that where it is? Three. There it is. Stay out of this. 
Verse 3, with all prayer also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. He said, pray that I'd have a door to open up the mysteries of Christ that, that, that I could preach. And he says, for which I am also in bonds. He said, remember, and he says this in other times, remember my bonds. Don't forget I'm in prison. Don't forget the discouragement and the pain and the, the loss I experience each and every day. There's another one somewhere in Thessalonians. I'm not going to risk it. But he says frequently, he says, pray for me directly. Pray for me specifically. Pray for my needs. As we, moving on, and some of you I know do this, but as we move on in this matter of prayer and missions, what an encouragement we could see and be able to share with our missionaries if we could say the next time we see them, instead of saying, how has it been, we could say, how is such and such going? This work that you've begun, is it progressing? So and so that we've been praying for, how is he doing? Can I assure you that would be far more encouraging than to just ask the missionary, how you been? They hear that everywhere they go. Instead, how is, and it'll take some work, some of these names are challenging. Do your best, and I think they'll appreciate it. We pray personally, that's our surrender. We pray directionally, that's our intercession. And then we pray geographically. Now, I don't want to try to twist this too much to make it work, but here Asa struggled to really for, remember who his enemy was and who his helpers were. Who, who he was opposing and who he should have had leagues with. Now we find that in verse number, verse number seven. Now, now they had made agreements in the past. He, he, he said that. He said, my father made an agreement with you. I'm making that same agreement. But here, I believe that God was willing and able to allow them to find victory over Israel as they, they faced war. And before this, the Syrians were in leagues with Israel. By default, Syria could have been defeated. Ben-Hadad could have been defeated just by trusting God and allowing him to work out the details. But he got sidetracked in this matter of who's for me and who's against me. You know, I think we struggle sometimes when we look at a map, we struggle to really see what Jesus said when he said, look on the fields, are white all ready to harvest. We fail to see the needs in certain places. We, we, fail, we look at India on the map and we think, yeah, it looks kind of like all the other countries around them. It's not real big. It's next to the Indian Ocean. Okay, it's right there. And then you realize there's over one billion people in there. A thousand millions. It's hard to, it's hard to even imagine that many people. All in this one country. And if you were to look at a map and you were to move north, as he said, all those countries around are Islamic. You go into Pakistan and you go into all those, those, those stands. You got Pakistan and Uzbekistan and Kurzakistan, and they get real weird, but that's really what they are. And, and, and I, I think it's, we do ourselves, even spiritually, an injustice by not being aware of some of these things. Because we look at a map and we say, yeah, that's, that's the Middle East. 
We just kind of know it as the Middle East, and we think that's where our enemy of our nation is. That's where uh, you know that's where ISIS is, and so let's you know let's bomb them and be done with it. Now that sounds good politically. That stirs up the, uh, the the Trump rallies. But as that song went, if we could see as God sees, can I remind you and assure you that God doesn't look at the Middle East and say, if we could just nuke them, we'd be okay. No, he sees those Islams as people whom Jesus shed his blood for. He sees that massive population of India as millions of people, uh, over a million people whom he loves and wants to, 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 to seek and to save that which is lost. And when you look geographically, you see not only places, but you see people. You see people groups, you, you see ethnic groups. I think we struggle in this also as Americans to think that we're the, you know, we're the hub for missions work, and if they don't come from a mission, they're not, uh, a mission, uh, the United States, they're not really a missionary. But can I remind you that we don't have any lever- leverage on God because we're United States citizens. We, we, we don't have any spiritual leverage regarding missions because we're from the civilized and, and Western world. As uh, we heard last night from that video of this man, I couldn't pronounce his name if it was in front of me, but the one uh, who went back down and began starting these churches. Question to recant or go to prison. What would you have done in that situation? I'm not going to tell you what I would have done. But I know what most of us would have done. We would have counted the cost and thought, this isn't worth going to prison for. Yet this man, who has probably never been to the United States, he doesn't know about our, our culture. Just a Hmong refugee said, I'd rather go to prison than, than say, I'm, I'm recanting Christ. See, when we look geographically, we look at people, we find that though the, the, the color of their skin may be different, their dialect may be different, their, their, their voices and their cultures and their food and their clothing may be different. But spiritually, we have the same opportunities than they as we do. The same Lord who is over all, and rich unto all them who would call upon Him. As Jesus said, not only to look on the fields that are white ready to harvest, He also said, pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send labors into the field. When we look geographically, we begin to see pockets, and it's far more than pockets, because there's somewhere estimated between almost 40% of the world's population is considered unreached with the gospel. 40%. In these regions that are Islamic, these regions that are predominantly um, Buddhist, the, the, these regions that, that have such a strong cultural, spiritual, and even, you know, you, when you get into Africa, you find all these, uh, these, these spirit-worshipping, um, uh, just these ideas that are so foreign to the Word of God. And though, as he, as, as brother said tonight, whenever, when you, you, you give these people the, the gospel, sometimes they've heard of Jesus or they know of Jesus, but it's so unusual to what they've been taught. And they're so far absent from true Bible teaching. I believe God wants us to pray for those places. Pray that God would send laborers. Pray that God would raise up believers that could start a work and that the gospel could spread in these places. 
We look geographically. Finally, number four, there's a devotional prayer. We see a personal prayer, a directional prayer, a geographic prayer, and then a devotional prayer. Let me read again verse number nine. He says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. That's the, the, the word complete or con, uh, consecrated. Similar to what we said first, and that's the area of surrender. But I want you to think more in the lines of in tune with God, in tune with the Spirit. You know what our missionaries need maybe more than anything regarding prayer? It's not just so that we write down a prayer list and pray for them, but we trust the Lord when He leads us to pray for them. That's when we pray for him, them. And we, we allow the Lord to show us what their needs are. Now, I can assure you that all of them have some similar needs, some basic needs that everybody faces. Loneliness and discouragement and... Uh, I think it was Brother Carr that said he struggles without Taco Bell, which God help him on the opposite way. I think we'd all do better without a little Taco Bell. But, but all, everybody faces certain things like that. But there are times when people are going through battles and they don't know that anybody knows about it and they would rather not even talk about it. But to the person who's in tune with God... To the person who has a heart that's surrendered and complete and, and, and allowing God to lead him, all of a sudden feels like, you know, I need to pray for Brother Moore. I need to pray for Brother Varghese. I need to pray for the pastor. I don't know why, but it seems like there's something going on and I need to pray. Now, I know to, to some people that, that idea may even be foreign or you think, well, that's for pastors and that's for missionaries. You know, that's for people who are, who, you know, superheroes of the faith and, and super saints. No, that's for every believer to walk with God and be led of the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to lead your praying. We've all heard stories and accounts and times where people have simply said, you know, I don't know why, but I want to pray for you. I recall... The night God, I convinced God called me to preach. It was June the 2nd, 2012. I'd taken some boys out on a camping trip. And uh, we camped out for the night. I don't know that I'd ever do it again, but it was a Saturday night. We got up early in the morning, hiked back in on a Sunday. But that night... God impressed upon me just to surrender to preach. Something that I'd prayed for for years. I, I was already preaching in different... I'd actually preached over there behind the pulpit. and I had different opportunities to preach in the nursing home and in children's church. But I was... I, up until that point, I'd never felt like God had actually called me to preach. And uh, if you don't know what that, that is like, you... Don't know what it's like, but if you ever, if God's ever directly called you to something, you understand it. And that night, though I'd prayed for it for literally years, missionaries would come, and I'd say, I'd go. 
You know, they, they, you hear missionaries say, yeah, I know what you're saying. You pray and say, God, I'll go anywhere except for Africa. I'd say, I, I'm the type that would say, I'll go anywhere except for, you know, London or France or Italy or the United States. Send me to Africa, you know. That's, that's how I'm wired. I, I prefer, you know, give, give, me the, give me the little rougher parts. But God never called me to the mission field. But that night he began to really impress upon my heart that I need to just truly surrender to preach. And as people have dealt with this before, you think you're willing to trust God, but when he says, do it, all of a sudden the fears come and the battles come and the challenges come. And all of a sudden I began to even question it. This was about midnight. The boys were in a tent sleeping. And I woke up to this just urge to surrender to God. Someone sent me a message. I had one of those dumb phones at the time. All I could get was messages. But it said, I don't know why. God wanted me to pray for you. And it was like a exclamation point. I don't know what I would have done prior to that or after that if I wouldn't have got that message. But you know, it was almost like God saying, just trust me. I'm not just looking at you. I, I got this whole thing figured out. When it comes to missions, we need more than just people who say, yeah, I'll pray for you. Let me grab your prayer card. We need people that are willing to intercede for our missionaries with a heart of surrender that says, God, you show me what to pray for. And I'll intercede on the behalf of these men and women who have given their lives to take the gospel to places where many, as Brother Varghese said tonight, they don't even want it. Yet for 40 years, he stood against those who said, no, no, no. And all the while, we have the opportunity to intercede for him, to intercede for others. Shame on us if we fail to pray for our missionaries. Shame on us as a church. Shame on you as an individual. Shame on families if we don't learn this important ingredients. Prayer, the missing ingredient in missions. Let's become a praying church when it comes to missions.